Hello and welcome to the Grand Slam Tennis Podcast and it's our US Open preview uh, slash Cincinnati review. Although as we speak to you on a Saturday morning, uh, of course, Cincinnati is not quite finished yet. But it is my pleasure to say I'm joined by Barry Flatman, former Sunday Times tennis correspondent and TalkSport regular. Uh, Barry, it's great to have you back on. How are you doing? I'm doing well, thank you. Doing very well. That's great. How are you? Good to hear. Yeah, I'm okay. I'm okay, thank you. Not Good. bad at all. As we were both just saying, I guess uh, sort of out tedium at the moment in <laughs> in yeah. being uh, being locked down. I guess still in a way, um, but yeah, things are things are getting back to normal a bit, aren't they? At least in the tennis world, there's been some kind of resumption. Um, well, until that is. Um, Thursday, of course, because there was a brief hiatus in play after Naomi Osaka um, basically followed the lead of uh, the NBA's Milwaukee Bucks, uh, the WNBA, the MLS, and several Major League Baseball teams by by boycotting um, over the shooting, recent shooting of uh, Jacob Blake, but of course, so much more as well relating to Black Lives Matter. So, Barry, what's what's been your reaction to the events of the past few days? I wouldn't say surprise. I wouldn't say surprise. Tennis has long had a, a history of, um, of players, major figures in tennis, addressing social issues. And, and I think it's only right that this, this, this latest protest, if you want to call it, um, delay in the um, Cincinnati tournament happened. I think, I think that's only right and good. Uh, if you look at people like Billie Jean King and Arthur Ashe has always been a social awareness in, in tennis. And I think Naomi Osaka followed that. I have to say, as a cynic, I, I do wonder if they were totally Naomi's uh, sentiments or whether she had a very, very good ghostwriter. Um, I can remember when Naomi first came upon the scene and uh, looked like a scared rabbit in the headlights um, when confronted with the, the world's press, whether she actually 100% individually wrote this whole piece, but the sentiments of it are, are laudable. Yeah, so I think what you're referring to is the, well, it was the Esquire essay, wasn't there, at the start of yes, July? Yes, sorry, yeah, um, yeah. But also she did the, the post this week, um, which was also very eloquent. And I mean, yeah, we were just saying before we start recording that I, in my kind of youthful naivety, I hope she did write the Esquire piece because I find it really inspirational. Well, so and, do I. So do I. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, she mentions in that that she would never have imagined writing it when she was starting out on the tour, which I found interesting. She said, when I won the US Open, I would never have imagined doing something like this when she was writing that piece in the Esquire. She's kind of evolved as a person, hasn't she, and as a social influencer, I guess. On the larger front, um, so apparently uh, Osaka's withdrawal accelerated uh, a discussion that tennis officials had been having. Um, so that was the Western and Southern Open officials and the USTA uh, on, on how tennis needed to react. So according to Chris, uh, that was according to Chris uh, Weidmeyer, who is chief spokesperson for the USTA. Uh, my question for you, Barry, is though whether this... Um, break in play would have happened without Osaka's withdrawal? I think it probably wouldn't. I think it took a, a player of that standing to to withdraw, to make a stance. Um, but it's 
it's a question we will never know the answer to. And <laughs> there might well, in the course of this podcast, be several questions that we might never know the answer to. <laughs> yes, yes. I mean, it's interesting that Asaka said she was actually surprised when play was suspended because she thought that only Federer, Nadal, Djokovic and Serena Williams could carry enough power to force something like this to happen. It's quite yeah, interesting that even she... she didn't know. Yeah, I think she's doing herself a bit of disservice there because, you know, there is a whole new generation now in tennis. You know, the, the, the names you mentioned were were all-time greats, legends. But there is a new generation. No sport stands still and uh, it's continually evolving. And I think that's what's happening with tennis. And it will certainly happen in the next fortnight. For, for reasons we will go into now. Well, just to what you're alluding to there, Asaka said after a match, maybe this generation of tennis players won't be too scared of the consequences of saying things that are on their minds. Um, yeah, do you think tennis's governing bodies need to begin involving themselves more in this discussion rather than, as you say, tennis has got a great history of individual social actors, but rarely have we seen collective action? No, I think I think tennis's governing bodies at the moment are completely subservient to the the the, the name players, and don't want to do anything to upset them. Um, that's that's been to me abundantly clear for some time, uh, and uh, I think that they will get in line to what the players want. Now I know we're going to talk about a new players' union in in the next few minutes um and that you know is is very much a anti-atp tour uh school of thought and uh, i think the atp tour are very worried about what this players union might establish and i think in the next couple of years uh, there's the, the ruling bodies, the alphabet soup, the ATP, WTA, ITF, are certainly going to take into account what the players feel and want and, by and large, implement it. So you think as well, relating to any kind of potential further boycotts, it would take a Novak Djokovic or... Uh, Serena Williams to put their neck on the line and really instigate something. So you mentioned the big the big name players have the power over the governing bodies, perhaps. Um, it doesn't necessarily uh, as long as it's you know if if the players are strong enough and and united enough, um, then then anything is possible because as we saw you know with the Wimbledon boycott many many years ago. <laughs> Things can happen. I should just say before we move on to that players' union, really quickly, I found that some of the reactions to Osaka's withdrawal very interesting from the other players, actually, because Novak Djokovic's silence has been notable. He hasn't said anything on it yet, as far as I understand. And then, no, I think he, I think Novak Djokovic got his fingers burnt with his own tour yes, a few weeks ago. That's true. Yeah, yeah, he's probably, he's probably just kind of head down at the moment, isn't he? A little, uh, yeah. in a way. But as Arenka said. Uh, when she was asked if Asaka had done well to put her cause to one side for a couple of hours to then return to obviously playing her semi-final on Friday, 
as Renka said, to be honest, I don't really pay attention to that. I think the most important thing is that tomorrow we're going to play a good match and that's it. Let's talk about tennis. I don't want to talk about it. And then Conta um, similarly said, I'm not really up to date on current affairs. I'm very aware of the, the Black Lives Matter movement and very aware of what has happened while I was at home, but I haven't watched the news here. I didn't see Naomi's post. I, I find that quite depressing and, and just yeah. astounding, right? Yeah, well, yes, yeah. I, I, I'll, I, I should hold back on my views on uh, Johanna Conter's uh, awareness of the rest of the world. <laughs> um, but... Um, yeah, it is. It is quite astounding. Yeah, yeah, staggering. Uh, I mean, it just, yeah. I mean, it just kind of writ large, isn't it, that tennis players are in a kind of enforced quarantine anyway, aren't they, when they compete? It's very tunnel vision, isn't it? Like me is number they're indivi- one. They're individual sportsmen, yeah. and that they're, they're, they're conditioned to completely focus upon themselves. Um, some do. Some are very, very much more. Uh, aware of the world that's going on around them but no two tennis players are the same yeah yeah and they're, they're from all over the world as well aren't they so it's often hard to get them to understand each other's positions right and when they're visiting the US they might not think this is their fight in a way but I hope they do one day quickly on Pospisil's proposed players union so Pospisil uh, apparently Saturday night so tonight as we speak to you listeners uh, there's going to be um, a, it's going to be ratified basically the Professional Tennis Players Association um, uh, Mios Raonic has said uh, on it that a lot of us were kept in the dark by our leadership for six months we were dis- disappointed with many things I voiced my opinion on many things such as other executives in other sports taking pay cuts to support us, I presume by us he means athletes, as tennis players we weren't making a dime for months and months so it seems like the lockdown and all the hardship it brought with it for tennis players um, has accelerated this process, basically. And uh, Gal Denzi's made a kind of desperate plea, as far as I understand. He's written a, a letter uh, to the players uh, where he has said, you have what other athletes in other sports would strive for, a seat at the boardroom table. That is what players fought for in the creation of the ACB Tour. It makes no sense why you would be better served by shifting your role from the inside to the outside of the governance structure. Barry, I mean, you were saying that this has been in the pipeline for a few years now, hasn't it, really? But what are your thoughts? Yeah, well, Pospisil has been an activist for, for, for some time and and uh, has wanted to... to to make his presence felt on the uh, the board tables of the world. Um, I, you can't argue with his sentiments and you can't argue that, that ATP, WTA, ITF uh, didn't do very much at this, throughout lockdown uh, to, because, you know, all right, some of these players are multi, 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 multi-millionaires but other players are basically on the breadline and weren't and didn't have the opportunity to earn a cent. So something needed to be done. And, and everywhere else in the world, or everywhere else in the modern world, um, things have been done to help people through the, the lockdown and, and, and the pandemic financially. 
Um, so it's only right and proper that, that something finally should be done. My perception is that Gaudenzi has been greeted as a good leader, as, as, a, as a breath of fresh air, um, and has the, the, the well-being of the players very much at heart. And uh, I think he's been somewhat fairly untreated badly treated uh, by Pospisil in this case. Uh, and I think he, he would and could mature into a very good leader. But it's, it's just been such a, a very, very difficult time for him, for, for everyone. And uh, maybe Pospisil's timing isn't, isn't all the best. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a really good point. I also wonder whether it's being done for completely the right reasons, because I guess... The lockdown, of course, was hard on tennis players, but um, I think it was Simon Briggs who was tr- tweeting that there was a, um, a bit of anger from male players about the, the talk of a unionised tour when Federer, of course, in lockdown was tweeting about bringing the ATP and the WTA together. And I think there was a bit of resentment about that, apparently, um, because of equal pay, prize money reasons. So this seems like this seems like a response to that as well because it's going to be a men's union isn't it um yeah yeah i don't and tennis tennis isn't just a men's sport yeah. so uh, then there's there's going to be all kinds of problems in that respect yeah but to to quote uh, an unnamed um Source, Pospisil is just a bloody troublemaker anyway who just wants to have his birth so you know there's an element of truth in that. Um, Pospisil has just been waste, biding his time, for the perfect opportunity. But I think I think he should be somewhat more sensible, and and to just totally wipe out the women's tennis scene um, is is wrong and and sh- and shouldn't be allowed. And I don't think in the fullness of time will be allowed. And and if, if Pospisil does try and do it, then, then Bobby Riggs will be thought of as something of a saint in by comparison. Yeah. Yeah. You do despair, don't you? After all the talk of unionization between the men and women. And now, now this has happened, which would seem to be a spanner in the works. Um, I mean, related to that as well, just quickly, both men's semi-finals for Cincinnati were put on Louis Armstrong and given the top TV billing, whereas the two women's matches were earlier in the day and on the grandstand court. Let's move on to the US Open draw, of course. That's why we're here. <laughs> we're, already, uh, we're already 20 minutes in. Um, I thought I'd just start by asking you, Barry, have you ever seen such a kind of relatively uninspiring field my mind goes back to the 2017 US Open where for the men certainly there was a lot of injuries no I I have to say uh, I have to say that the thought of two weeks of tennis in in a deserted Arthur Ashe Stadium uh, is is just not a, a, a good fix really um and I'm not sure whether it will do the sport of tennis any good. Um, you know, we, we've just debated why players feel that at long last tennis is back on the road again. Um, but w- without a crowd and without so many marquee players in the starting list, um, 
it's not it's not the 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 U in the US Open is is not United as in states. It's just unusual. And um uh we shall see in the next fortnight what what draw it has. With so with with the likes of Federer and Adele and and six of the top ten women not playing. Um we'll see what ratings it gets if Amazon do ratings. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm not sure if they'll publicize them. It might be no, a, no. Uh, they might they might uh, choose not to after this fortnight. So I, yeah, I agree. Yeah. I think it could be um it could be way down, couldn't it, on, on recent yeah. years when yeah. Sarka Williams had lo- a lot broke records and uh, when Goff played I think Osaka last year that was a huge audience for ESPN in the States I just don't see that happening again really but we'll see um, let's start with Novak Djokovic so he's now as we speak 22 matches unbeaten um, and the scary thing is he's, he's making it look quite easy uh, apart from last night in fairness Bautista Agu took him pretty far and hard Um but can anyone stand in his way in this US Open? If you're a betting man, you'd say no. Uh, it will be interesting against Rayanich in the, in the Cincinnati brackets, New York close brackets final tonight. Um, because Rayanich does appear to have really got everything together and is, is playing with the potential that he's long had. But Djokovic... Is a proven winner, and uh, it, to me, it's quite amazing because this is this is somebody that had COVID, that had coronavirus, suffering from it um, through his own stupidity, I have to say, and um, he has bounced back in this respect. Um, whether whether he has the stamina to go from reaching this final into reaching a best of five sets over two weeks, seven rounds final and winning a title is another matter. But you would have to say that he is the favourite, the outstanding favourite at the moment. He has had this neck injury that's been troubling him a little bit. I do wonder whether it might have been even better for him to lose that semi-final last night because it was... He looked haggard by the end of it. I mean, that's what Bautista Agu does to you, I guess. Uh, yes, yeah, war of uh, mental attrition, yeah. yes, yes. But, um, yeah, perhaps the only person who's going to stop Djokovic is going to be himself, isn't it, maybe? Yes, I, I, I think so. I, you know, you, you look at the absentees and... Uh, you know, Medvedev proved a year ago that he is potentially a Grand Slam champion. Tsitsipas has the ability to beat Djokovic. Rayanic, if if he brings everything out and starts firing with the big guns tonight, which he's been firing with the big guns all week, then then he possibly has. Dominic Teams, another player that, that it's high time he won a Grand Slam. But Novak Djokovic is a proven winner, is a proven champion who... Uh, subconsciously, I think, will get into all the other players' minds and um, be a very, very tough man to beat. 
Certainly, yeah. And it will be, like you say, it'll be very interesting to see how Ranić gets on tonight because although he's lost 10 times to Djokovic in the 10 meetings they've had, he is a different animal at the moment, which I'm sure Andy Murray would attest to as well after that. Yes, drubbing. yes, yes. Um, so Djokovic's route is, well, potential route is uh, Juma, Damir Juma in round one, then Cal Edmund in round two, uh, Jan Leonard Struff in round three, John Isner in round four, Denis Shapovalov potentially in the quarterfinals. Semi final could be six pass, and the final is due to be, um, well, it says here Medvedev, but it should be Dominic Team uh, uh, in the final because he is the number two seed, isn't he? Um, yeah, I think they're just going. I think that that assumption that Medvedev um, is just going on what happened last year and form and everything like that. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, of course Dominic Team went out of um, Cincinnati uh, open brackets, New York closed brackets. Uh, uh, the right at the start against Kranovich, six one six two got absolutely yeah. slaughtered. So yeah. you do wonder what's going on there. Um, another man who's got a lot of questions to answer is Alexander Zverev. Um, so I, I put in the running order for you, Barry. Has there ever been a more inevitable upset? Kevin Anderson. Yeah, Kevin Anderson's got Zverev in the first round. Yeah. Um, if if there has been in recent years, I struggle to think of it. Um, Zverev, I I just don't know because Zverev had so much potential and uh, it looks such a good player, but but. You know whether whether he just gets stage fright in a Grand Slam, whether his motivation is there, whether he's fit. And he was another one that that, that caught COVID on the on the Djokovic tour. Um, whether his fitness is completely right at the moment, I don't know. But and and of course, Kevin Anderson's an unknown quantity quantity at the moment because he he hasn't been the healthiest of men, not not with COVID, but with with injuries and everything. Um. But yeah, it, it's it's a, it's an upset that will not cause anyone any shock at all. Although when I put that in the running order, I didn't actually realise that Zverev has a 5-0 record against Kevin Anderson, which is very impressive. But their last competitive meeting was in 2017. And interestingly, the two uh, Masters events where he's beaten Anderson were the two Masters he won in 2017. So uh, Rome and the Rogers Cup. So I guess have they met in a slam? Uh, I don't think they have. No, I don't think they have. No, I think it's um, no. it's just on the ASP tour they've met. So I don't know has Verev improved since those two meetings in 2017? Because they've kind of been the high points, haven't they? Really, those Masters wins so far. Yeah, yeah. But if results are anything to go by, no, he hasn't. But it, uh, I think so much of it is uh, is in the mind and whether he just gets uh, you know easy term but stage fright in a, in a slam yeah it's a good way of putting it it would be it would be terrible if, if that was the case because he is a, he is a player of infinite talent um, but something's wrong there isn't it something's yeah, definitely yeah. wrong and there, there is the unfortunate news I think his, his father's contracted COVID at the moment and he's very much yeah. a kind of family man isn't he Alexander Zverev uh, very yeah. much, very um, much. Yeah. And he, he was yeah. speaking this week about not having his family around has been kind of hard enough, I think, for him. Obviously, in the in the bubble conditions, um, he's just got a few his coach and a, a few physios, probably right. Yeah, yeah. That's all. They, that's all, any of them are allowed, isn't it? One one coach, one physio, yeah. and, and that's yeah. your lot. Um, 
So other matches to um, look out for in the in the first round. Goffan has Riley Apelka. Uh, Rublev will be going up against Jeremy Shardy. Uh, Bautista Agu plays Tennis Sandgren, which should be very interesting indeed. Blast from the past, Ivo Karlovic is facing Gasquet, uh, which is wonderful, isn't it? <laughs> well, yeah, you could have had that. That uh, fifteen yeah. years ago, that match. I it's Col- I think college is forty now as well. Yes, yes, yes. Remarkable. Um, and then on the other end of the spectrum, Yannick Sinner is playing uh, Karen Hatchinov as well. That'll be very exciting. Um, and then Dominic Team has Jao Munar in his first round. Medvedev has Federico Dalbonis, and then Sitspass will will play Ramos Vinolas. Let's just turn quickly to the Brits, if we may, Barry. Um, so Cal Edmund has Alexander Bublik. I don't know a great deal about Bublik. I'm not sure if you do either. But what what do you what do you think of that matchup? He's he's a he's a talented player. Is is he he's he's. Level of form uh, isn't a straight line. It goes up and it goes down, and it goes up and it goes down. But I would like to think that Edmund has got enough about him to to beat Bublik. But then, then there's Mr. Djokovic waiting in the second round, and uh, Kyle can ripple the waters against the big players, but he is yet to beat a really big name. Uh, in a match that really matters and I wouldn't be putting any money not that I'm allowed to of course but I wouldn't be putting any money on um, on Kyle to you know prompt a massive round two upset yeah do you think that's mentality with Kyle because it seems Evans we have seen do big things on a big on a big stage most of all the US Open and Edmonds has the weaponry doesn't he? Do you think it's just a kind of belief thing? Yeah, Kyle as a, as a lad is a very respectful young man. Um, holds, you know, even if he speaks to the press, um, some players treat the press with utter contempt, but he, Edmund, regards the press as, as people that he should always be very polite to and well-mannered to. And uh, it's almost the same when he gets out on a tennis court. He, he shouldn't go out there and upset people that, uh, that he respects. Yeah, I get what you mean. Uh, having interviewed Edmund before, he's very... Uh, he's quite shy, isn't he, ultimately? In a way that Evans yeah. Evans certainly yeah. isn't. Evans is very no, swaggering, no. kind of sometimes arrogant. Um, yeah, two two very different animals. There. Yeah. Yes. Um, so Dan Evans faces um, uh, Saboff Wild, who's a twenty-year-old Brazilian player who won the Santiago two hundred and fifty earlier this year, actually. Um, and here's your kind of uh, generic Rafael Nadal comparison. He's the youngest... And more pertinently, more God. pertinently, won the 2018 US Junior Championship. There we go. I didn't know that. Yeah, and um, and he's, he's, he's clearly a star in the making. Yeah, yeah. I mean... And this is what this is what is going to come through, this tournament, is, is new names. Yeah. Uh, and some will have longevity and some won't. But uh, but um, this young Brazilian, 20 years old, he's, he's already 113 in the world and he's climbing. And um, be an interesting one forever. Be a very yeah. interesting one Yeah, forever. I mean, Evans is playing... I mean, he, he was having a great 2020, wasn't he, at the start of the year? Um, and yeah. he's done so much 
before in New York, hasn't he? But I guess just what we were saying there about his character, this is, of course, a very different New York City. There's not going to be a crowd. And you feel like Evans is well, kind of a, a born entertainer, isn't he? So you think that's going to matter, the crowd yeah. not being there for him? I think so, very much so, yeah. Evans, I always remember Evans when, when he was a junior and uh, just a player that was trying to make the breakthrough. He'd always be looking around at the surrounds of the court, seeing who was in there, how many people were in there. Um, he, he just didn't get motivated by an empty empty grandstand. He wanted to know who was watching him. And uh, can you imagine Evans in, in a deserted Arthur Ashe Stadium? It, uh, it's not his natural environment. No, he doesn't... Um... He's not kind of born with self-motivation as well. That sounds harsh, but yes, he's not a kind of pure... He's yeah. not like... Uh, you get the sense when you watch Bautista Agu that he's kind of... He, he, he might not have noticed that there's no fans there. <laughs> he's looking at his strings yeah. all the time, like just completely just poker-faced, isn't he? Uh, but Evans is kind of the curious mold almost, isn't he? In the sense that he's, he loves to... He wants people yeah. to watch him. He wants people to take notice yeah. of him. yeah. But yeah, that... And for reasons right or wrong, there's been a lot of reasons to say no to Dan Evans in the, in the last few years. Yeah, very true, very true. But he's uh, he'll be the 23rd seed, which is by far his best seeding at a slam. So let's see what he can do. Uh, Norrie, Cameron Norrie faces Diego Schwartzman. That's very tough, isn't it? I think so, yeah. I think so. Schwartzman's a, a tricky little campaigner. Who uh, had, doesn't have uh, doesn't have the height, but he has everything else going for him. Yeah, certainly. Talent, certainly. good hands. I had a good yeah. run in the US Open last year as well. I remember his match against uh, Zverev, no less. Um, when I was in round four, he got to the quarterfinals. Um, and then Andy Murray is facing um, a pretty seasoned campaign at well. A, fair, a fairly kind of experienced top hundred player in Nishioka. Um, I just wonder what you made of Murray's recent performances, Barry, because there's been a lot of noise. I think I think you have to applaud Andy Murray for what he's done. Um, but what, sadly, he hasn't managed uh, to get hold of yet is the, is the art of recovery. And it does seem that after he's had one tough match, Whereas he used to be able to rebound and come out and do it again two days later, his body doesn't allow him to do that yet. Whether he whether he, he will get that back, we don't know. Uh, but at the moment, the, the the recovery isn't all it might be, uh, and he will work at it. We just you know we, we are convinced. Everyone in tennis is convinced that Murray will work at it, but whether his body is just saying enough. Um, perhaps the next fortnight, perhaps the next year will tell us, but he will give it everything he's got. Do you see a run into the second week or is that a bridge too far at this stage? No, I'm afraid yeah. I don't. I'm afraid I don't, uh, especially after what we saw on the same courts earlier this week when he had, uh, he had a very good win. 
what you two wins are in TFO uh, and 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 then he came up against the battering ram that is Milos Raonic and he was just pummeled into submission. Yeah, it was quite um it's quite shocking to watch actually that match because we've obviously seen Murray just boss Raonic for so so long as well, right? Yeah. He would have just usually just been flicking returns back and dealing with with everything he had, but he just just got overwhelmed, didn't he, a bit? But um yeah, interesting. That is a good way of putting it, the art of recovery. Let's see how Murray can master that in the in the, the coming week or so. Um, one more thing Guido Payer and Hugo Delian are in the draw um, they were forced to quarantine after their uh, shared physio uh, tested positive for, for COVID-19 um, I think they'll have only had one day of practice before before playing um, there's been quite a lot of anger hasn't there Barry I, I don't know how much you've seen of this from the players uh, Diego Schwartzman said that the uh, the US USTA lied to our faces um, there's quite a lot of anger about the way those two players were treated. Yeah, well, uh, you can understand why there's anger as well, because um, play, players' biggest tool is their fitness, and for, for that to be compromised is is wrong. Um, or if, if you're looking at the argument the other way, then, then yes, I think the... the tournament organisers need to be more transparent um, and I don't think they've been that in the, in the last months or few months. So, but it's just, it just kind of goes with the territory at the moment that really nobody knows what's happening. And, and tennis has been in the dark for six months so, and it's you know a few lights have been turned on a few more lights are going to be turned on next week but um, there are going to be all kinds of problems um, and those that argue that it's too soon to bring tennis back might have a bit more backing for their argument we will see we will see but we are we are very much going into the unknown here um, and finally, just before we move on to the women's draw, uh, could you tentatively give us a kind of last eight prediction for the men's draw? Well, I'll, I'll try. I mean, I've written this down. It's it's not very inspiring. It's, it's, in some cases, it's stating the blindly <laughs> obvious. That's what predictions um, are. Don't but, worry. Yeah. Uh, so I'll go Djokovic... This is a quarterfinal lineup. Djokovic v Shapovalov, Sitsipas v Schwartzman, Rublev v Medvedev, Ranich v Dominic Team. Okay. Yeah, I mean, it'd be I mean, intriguing lineup. I'd be pretty happy with that, actually. No. So, another significant figure in this US Open, of course, is Serena Williams. Um, but she's had a bit of a tricky-ish return um, and of course there's so much baggage at the US Open she's she's reached the final for the last two years um, and the, the semi-finals for the two years pre- previous um, is she a favourite Barry for this title? She can't be discounted but but you know you've got to take into account that in in Less than a month, Serena Williams will be 39 years of age. And 
nobody, nobody can beat the sands of time. Um, and I think that this, this whole challenge of leveling and overtaking Margaret Court has, is playing on Serena's mind to the extent that it, it must be, she must be losing some sleep over it. And, and after coming so close, she's been, you know, the last two Wimbledons, last two US Opens, she came close, but saw it dragged away from her. Um, maybe now, and again, who knows, but maybe now she's come to the conclusion, I'm not going to do it. Um, it clearly means a lot to her, but, and, and you can't, deny Serena. Serena is the greatest achiever in the history of women's tennis. But nobody can beat age, advancing age. And um, maybe maybe it would have been better if she'd retired by now, but um, nobody can tell Serena what to do. And we were just mentioning Evo College. Unlike him, she does not have six foot ten inches to to help her beat the sands of no, time. She's, she's, uh, she's got muscles the like of which that has never been seen on a tennis a women's tennis court. But but no, she hasn't. Uh, she doesn't come down from Empire State Building um, heights to de- deliver a serve. No. no. But the last the last Grand Slam title she won was the 2017 Australian Open. That's a long time ago now. And as I say, two two Wimbledon finals, two US Open finals, and ultimately she wasn't strong enough, good enough, positive enough. And um, I I I can't see it happening. Quite honestly, I really can't see it happening which would be sad for one of the all-time greats of the game. But, um, you know, such is life, I'm afraid. This is her route to the final, a potential route. Christy Arn in round one, Monica Puig, and Sloane Stephens, uh, Maria... Se- that's the yeah. one. Sloane Stephens is the one that really? I... That's, you know, that's it, where she's it, it would mean so much. Yeah. Yeah, yeah you, you think as well like the way Stevens plays, She, when she's on, it's the most dynamic all-court game that we've seen Serena not being able to live with, understandably, like you say, because of her age. But she's not been able to live yeah. with those kind of players, has she? No, no, no. And, and on any given day, uh, a player can bring out their, by far, their best performance of their career when confronted by Serena across the net. And that's just something that Serena's had to learn to live with over the last 20 years, 30 years. But um, no, it's, it's, um, it's, a, it's, a, it's an interesting one, interesting one. Anyway, go, carry, carry on with Serena. You, I interrupted no, 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 you on Serena. Right. I mean, her next potential opponent will be Maria Sakari, who obviously just beats her in the Cincinnati event. And then potentially Madison Keys. Sophia Kenin and Karolina Pliskova. Um, just another figure I wanted to mention, uh, wanted to mention uh, is Victoria Azarenka. She's had a bit of a resurgence, hasn't she? Uh, and she faces world number 136, Barbara Haas, and possibly her fellow Belarusian Sabalenka in round two. 
I don't know what have you seen much of Azarenka recently, Barry? She she's playing vintage stuff. Yeah, well, she she's always been a very talented player. You know, we know we know what she's done in the past. Former world number one, twice won the Aussie Open, um, and is a player that was denied a lot of tennis for one reason or another. Um, she's in the Cincinnati final tonight. Um, she still appears to be keeping herself in pretty good shape, um, and she has a winning mentality. So, um, stranger things have been known in the women's game. It's four years, but um, this is the first time she's won five wins in a row in four wow. years. Wow. To know that, that's incredible. That is incredible. I mean, yeah, I, I'd written down as well that her comments about the Osaka boycott, in a way, you could understand because this, like you say, probably means so much to her after all she's been through with the the court case over uh, over her son and um she hasn't been in the semi-final of a premier wta premier event since 2018 miami and that was a bit of a flash in the pan like like you say it's been a long hard road for her after being one of the very best but she's yeah the way she played conte yesterday she, I think she, she could really, uh, really mean business in this year's Open. Um, some other dark horses, perhaps Elise Mertens, who's just, of course, got to the semi-finals of Cincinnati after reaching the uh, the final of Palermo as well. She has Laura Siegman in the first round, and then Onjabor, uh, who's playing Kachajina Kawa in the first round. Onjabor is a player I absolutely love. I'm not sure if you've you've seen her play, but she's. I, d- I don't know very much about Onjabor. I'm- I must say, uh, you know, she's um, just wonderful. She appears and- yeah, she's she the way she plays, she's kind of slicing, dicing, coming to the net, kind of just quite kamikaze sometimes, and not sometimes not picking the right shot, but just plays like some outrageous angle. Yeah, she's great, really good fun to watch. Um, I hope she goes far. Um, and she also had the most epic journey to get to Lexington, uh, the tournament a couple of weeks ago. She. I think she got flights to New York. Or I think Conta did something similar. She got flights to New York and then drove all the way down. Oh, yeah, I remember. Yeah. Yes, 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 yes. <laughs> Crazy. Um, Dedication. <laughs> Dedication to yeah, choosing. Yeah, that's why they're on the court and we're, we're sat here, I guess. <laughs> that's what separates, <laughs> uh, separates them from the rest. Uh, so other matches to watch out for. Andrew Kerber will be against uh, Tom Lianovic in the first round. Coco Goff plays. Now, Ker- Kerber's, Kerber's going to be yes. interesting because Kerber is finally back with the coach that uh, propelled her to her to great achievements. So I think I think we could see a bit of a resurgence in, in the... Angelique Kerber. Okay, career. interesting. I didn't realise she was back with her coach. Yeah, um, Torben Belts. Okay, okay. yeah, because uh, I'd, I'd seen that the German head of the German Tennis Association had come back to her um, and had been been saying she was a contender. She comes in as seventeenth seed, but I mean, that's where Kerber has thrived in the past, right? It's not usually when she's on top that she wins a Grand Slam. It's when she's had a dip. No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's really a favourite, um, but but she does. You, know, you can't deny what she's done over the over the course of yeah, time. Yeah, 
uh, Coco Goff plays Sevastva. Annette Consvate plays Daniel Collins. That's another one to look out for. And then Machova, um, who's had some really good results recently, including beating um, basically her hero, Patrick Vitova, uh, in Cincinnati, uh, will play probably another hero in Venus Williams. Um, and then Kim Kleisters will play Alexandrova. Um Barry, I remember talking to you about Kim Kleister's last year. I don't know if you remember that conversation. <laughs> she has done it. She's come back, hasn't she? I don't know. What, what do you reckon of her chances of making a splash? Um, I would love to see it. Uh, uh, there's, there's not a nicer personality that's set foot on a tennis court in the last uh, couple of decades. But I would be frankly amazed to see to see her come back yet again and uh, and win. Um, but a lot of things that wouldn't be possible are become possible in the next fortnight. Um, so I'm not going to make any sweeping statements about anyone. <laughs> some healthy skepticism is uh, is is perfect. I think. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. I, it's an interesting as well for Sophia Kenin, who's the second seed. It's her first slam since winning the Aussie Open, of course, at the start of this year. How do you think she's going to yeah. handle being a favourite? Again, you're shooting into the unknown, but with the exception of one tournament, she's done absolutely nothing since winning in Melbourne. Um, so she she took everyone by surprise in Melbourne. Maybe she could take people by surprise in New York. Um, I would be very amazed if she followed up the Aussie Open with the US Open. Um, but... Yeah. Again, I repeat myself. I'm sorry. I repeat myself. We just we just don't know about this tournament. We 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 have no real form to go on. Um, there are there are so many quality absentees, including defending champions and reigning champions and this that and the other. So uh, it is a possibility. But um, we yeah, should see. mention the absentees from the women's draw because that's more striking the men's really even with Federer and Nadal's absence because of course no Ash Barty no Halep uh, and no Andreescu which in fairness might be for reasons other than uh, Covid uh, is the rumour with Andreescu I remember speaking to you last year about her uh, to you uh, last year about her and you were worried about her becoming one of these players who's just perennially injured it seems to have gone that yeah. way yeah, no Svitolina. Yep. Um, you, you know, the, a lot of the big names that you would pencil in as potential champions that just aren't yeah. there. Six, six of the top ten. And, uh, yeah, yeah. So, perhaps this could be Kenin's yeah. uh, second it slam. It could. Perhaps. Um, we've seen it done by Osaka recently of course back to back slams but it's been, it has been rare in the women's game hasn't it but um, she faces Janina Wickmeyer she'll kick off against the Belgian and then um, unfortunately there's only two Brits in this 128 draw uh, but they're playing against each other and they meet in the first yeah. round <laughs> um, how do you see this one going Farry because Conta's just been playing wonderful tennis hasn't she this wow. week actually <laughs> She has. Uh, she she came rather unstuck in in the semi, but I I just think she'll be too strong for Heather Watson. Um, she's got too much about her game. 
plays well. Plays well on American cement. She she is probably her best surface. Um, will she go all the way? It'd be brilliant if she did, but uh, I'm rather skeptical in 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 the potential of her doing that. What but, do you think um, stopping her? I think she gets overexcited. I think I think. You know, she she tries to present such a measured, uh, worldly image, but I just think she gets too yeah overexcited. In with, with she looks she looks too far ahead, um, and uh, and it sometimes proves her undoing. She's a talented player, and if she doesn't do it now you wonder whether she will do it because again, age is creeping up. Um, let's, let's keep our fingers crossed for the Joe Conta fans. Yeah, yeah definitely. Uh, it's interesting thought. Yeah. The overexcited, cause you always detect it in the way she plays. There's a wonderful, um, I interviewed the author of the circuit this week from Rome, Rome, Ricardo Phillips. who's an American poet. And he has this great phrase about Milos Raonic saying it's, it's Raonic, uh, comes forward in the court, uh, approaches the net as if it's an electric fence. Uh, and Joe, Joe Conta <laughs> has that about her sometimes. She's, she's not, she's very good side to side, isn't she? From the back of the court, but that forward and backward yeah. movement is just not there. That kind of versatility perhaps is not there. And, and you have to say, you know, I mean, Joe Conta seems to change her coach as often as other players change their tennis shoes. And you can have too many conflicting voices in your ear. Uh, and Conta does tend to buy into what her coach is telling her. Um, and perhaps, perhaps she's just become confused by various, and and, and now having Thomas Hogshead in her corner, um, that's that's you know Laura Robson has already suggested that is not a a, a marriage made in yeah. heaven. Uh, yeah, why um, do you think that is? That was quite an interesting comment. Well, I don't, I. I Again, I don't know, but I don't think there's a lot of love lost between Laura and, and Joe Conta. Um, they probably come from different eras of British tennis. And, but, you know, Conta, it's been a new coach every year, at least one new coach, sometimes two. And um, so I think Laura is just sort of going on the, uh, the law of averages and saying that this one's not going to last very long either. And Hogstead's a difficult guy. You know, he's, he's worked with some of the best, best women players there are around at the moment. And he went back to Sharapova. He, he, he went, uh, who else did he go back with? Uh, well, Bouchard, he had two cracks with. Um, but they never last very long. Yeah. Yeah. Um, should just mention actually now uh Sharpo, we did an interview with the the telegraph this week it's her first interview since her retirement with a, a british newspaper uh, did you did you get a chance to read it barry i i didn't i didn't there was I'm some there was some I, interesting uh, comments in it um about 
I think it was mainly about kind of she had this memory when she was 11 or 12 of Altieri's academy of being uh, called up at like seven in the morning to play on the centre court in front of um, basically she puts a lot of men in suits basically who were who were gonna who were gonna back her and sponsor her and she she says that she knew from that moment it was gonna be a business tennis was gonna be a business Um, it's just very yeah it's very interesting about her thoughts of how she's kind of monetized her brand and which a lot of people are very cynical about aren't they um with the whole sugar pover business and whatnot but um yeah yeah, yeah. it's really good reading really good reading um so that's Conter and watson um who are who is your last eight for the women's draw barry now this is really <laughs> shooting in the dark. This, this is completely shit. Uh, so I'll go Karolina Pliskova versus Petra Martic. Now I, I'm saying Naomi Osaka, but I am not discounting Coco Goff from that section of the draw against. Oh, you have to say Kvitova just because of what she's done already. But uh, Garbinia Muguruza, who's still a very, very strong player, against Sloane Stevens, and that discounts Serena, which I, I shouldn't ever do. Yeah. And then Azarenka versus Kenin. But, you know, please, nobody hold me <laughs> to those predictions because, uh, because that is complete shooting in the dark. Sadly, it's on record, but um, yeah, yeah. Mm. Well, <laughs> we won't. Don't worry. Um, and yeah, unless we forget that Magrusa was the, the 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 finalist in the Australian Open this year. So yeah, she she yeah. she might well have a say. Um, just a few thoughts before we we finish. Uh, Del Potro this week had his third surgery on his right knee. Um, he's now I think he's now thirty one years of age, isn't he? Um, it, it's just. It's sad, isn't it? It's 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 terrible. It's terrible. And a nicer man you couldn't hope to meet. Um, and he's had such terrible, terrible bad luck with injuries. And and yet he still persists. He still won't give up the the, the chance. And I think everyone should wish him all the very best in getting over this particular injury. Yeah, because he is a. He's a real trooper. Particularly poignant that this is happening at the the tournament that he's provided so many memories as well, right? Yes, um, yes, yes, yes. So yeah. as well, there was news this week that the Bryan brothers they will not be playing the US Open, and they have actually announced their retirement. Um, I wondered if you had any memories of the Bryan brothers, Barry, from covering the tour. Yeah, a couple couple of times I've called Bob Mike, and, <laughs> and but I, I don't think I'm alone there. You know, I, I, I never did master the art of distinguishing one from the other. But no, they they were they were great competitors, and um, I you know we we all British cynics, you know all all the chest bumps and things like that and would seem rather more at home on on an NBA basketball court than a tennis court but but they they were they were great competitors and and um, interestingly you know I, I, I remember one of them I think it was Bob um, scoring a big win against Tim Hemman um, at Queens and um, and uh, we 
we did think neither of them can play on a singles court and neither of them have really practiced the art. But uh, no, they, they were they were they deserve many, many accolades and many, many awards for, for what they've done for men's tennis. Most successful doubles team ever. I was reading something about them the other day. You know, they you couldn't say they're the best doubles players in terms of talent because you've got to bring in John McEnroe and John Newcomb and Tony Roach into that. But but as a team, as a team, and obviously with the, with the understanding with each other that twins have, um, they were incomparable. Yeah, yeah. Five Australian Open titles, two French Opens, three Wimbledons, and five US Opens as well. And their consistency in a game that is notoriously very difficult to predict in doubles, right? I mean, is is second to none. So, yeah, many uh, many good wishes to them and hopefully a successful life uh, away from the tennis court. Um, and some sad news as well this week um, of the passing of David Mercer, former umpire and a legendary BBC commentator. I wondered if you had any words, um, Barry. Yeah, very, very, very sad. Uh, thoughts go out to his widow, Sue. Uh, I got to know both of them very well over the years. Um, spent many a, um, an entertaining week with them both in, in Dubai at the tournament there. Um, David was taken from us very quickly. Um he was he was a dedicated man. He he was dedicated to the art, dedicated to the sport. He loved the sport. Great rugby fan, massive rugby fan. Liked his golf, but but he was his knowledge of tennis was, was massive, and he had this authoritative voice which lent itself to commentary. Obviously, he was uh, was trained as a lawyer, and came into the sport professionally quite late he was a, a, a Welsh champion as a junior but uh, came into the sport quite late and um, it, it's very sad to lose him he was a good friend and um, we will miss him yeah here here no that's uh, lovely words Barry and uh, I think we'll we'll leave it there um, thank you for your for your time today and uh, uh, it's glad to see you safe and well and uh, here's to a Hopefully a, a good two weeks of tennis, uh, whatever it may bring. Good speech, you, Finn.